Well, good morning. If you are returning from spring break, I hope you had a good one. And I hope, uh, as I was cautioning last week, you did not return spring broke. So uh, we've got a couple that are maybe not broken, but bent in our house. So a little under the weather today. So I hope everybody can survive all the activities that we had. We had a great time yesterday at the uh, egg hunt. And I appreciate so much uh, those who are involved in planning this and coordinating this. I know with Allison and Caroline and others that were involved in this. And so we had a great turnout, and I appreciate all the parents who brought the kids. And we want to offer our apologies to J.L. when he mows the yard this next week for anything that he may shred. So we think we got everything, but uh, you know how that goes. The good thing is is, is they weren't real. I remember when I was a kid, you know, we would dye eggs. We used, that's the old-fashioned way to do it, you guys. And so we would dye eggs... And, you know, we'd have at Easter, we'd hide them, and then we would find most of them. And then a couple of weeks later, at some point, we'd be out mowing, and we would find one of those eggs. And you guys know the rest of that story. So we had a great time, though. So we're in this series that I have called, titled Ripples. And so I wanted to look at the church from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 15, where the church began as more of a, a focused um, uh, this focused area spreading out into more of a global movement. And so the Bible focuses on this fulfillment of the, prof, uh, the, the, uh, the promise that Jesus made uh, that we can read about in Matthew 16 where Peter boldly proclaims that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right after Peter proclaims that, Jesus says in Matthew 16, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so in the first chapters of Acts here, we have this phenomenal record of this historical event. And so the birth of the church and its outgrowth from this local, ethnically-centric movement or or area, focused area, to this global, multicultural, spirit-led movement. And, And so, in other words, when the church was launched, it was in one place and it included one people. And so it outgrew from that because something happened... And as this became global, it crossed ethnic and racial lines and became more inclusive, worldwide inclusive, as it crossed cultural and national borders. And aren't we glad that it did? Because as I look around this room this morning, I do not see one person among us today who would have been a member of the first church. I I don't think so. Unless somebody in here has Jewish heritage, you would not have been a member of the church. Let's think about that. If it had stayed the way it began. And so none of us would have been in the church. We're here today because the church crossed lines and the church expanded as God led it across those lines. Lines that He's still leading us to cross today. And so I want to look at something today that's going on in every instance of these opening doors. Because when you read the book of Acts, it's very clear that in the early church, baptism was important. And in fact, as you read through Acts, you'll find not one instance of anyone who heard this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, and respond to it, to it in faith, who was not baptized. You won't find that in here. Not one person said, I want Jesus, but I do not want to go under the water. And so we don't find anyone like this young man on this clip here. So this death, lean back. <laughs> Lean back, lean back, let go, lean back. <laughs> and so, did you know that the New Testament never considers the notion 
of an unbaptized Christian. The New Testament never considers the notion of an unbaptized Christian. And so in our culture today, the word Christian has become as generic as Coca-Cola. And so in the South, in the real South, that is, if you have a company, don't get offended, John, because if you have a company and you ask, hey, would you like a Coke? People come over, hey, you want a Coke? And they say, yes, I would. What's the next question? What kind you want? What would you like? And we're like, you asked me if I wanted a Coke, but that doesn't mean Coke. It can mean Mountain Dew. It can mean Sprite. It can, I guess in some extreme cases, it can mean tea. And so there, there's so many meanings wrapped in up into that. It's very generic. It's not specific. And so it means anything. But in the book of Acts, Christian meant one thing. A baptized disciple of Jesus Christ. And so if you told one of these early Christians that you were an unbaptized Christian, they would have wondered what in the world you're talking about because they would have never heard of that. They didn't understand what you were talking about. And so I know we come from a lot of different backgrounds and we come from a lot of different traditions and we all really have a limited human understanding of baptism and and what happens there. And David led our thoughts this morning in communion, the best that we can humanly try to understand this. So we're all limited to some degree. But I want to look at some Scriptures this morning, beginning with a pretty bold statement. Baptism is expected of every believer who believes in Jesus in the New Testament. Everyone in the New Testament who believes in Jesus is expected to be baptized. And so articles and books and debates have been exhausted over the question, is baptism necessary? And here's the thing, the writers of the New Testament, they never answered that question. You go through there and look, and where's the question, is baptism necessary? And we try to find the answer. The reason they didn't answer it is because nobody asked the question. Nobody thought to ask. They didn't even entertain that question. The idea that someone would think that baptism was not necessary as part of believing and following Jesus Christ. And so, the apostles, it was pretty simple for them. Jesus did it, for one thing, and then He told them to do it. And so that was pretty simple for them. And so, the first time the salvation message was preached in Acts chapter 2... Peter proclaims this death and the resurrection of Jesus, this good news, this gospel news, and hearts are touched, and people respond. And they respond and they ask what? What do we do now? We get it. What do we do now? And what did Peter say in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38? He said to them, you repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And notice here, I don't, I don't think Peter is making a rule per se, as we would think of rules being made. I don't think he's even making a promise. I don't see him giving a command. I think he's giving an invitation. They say, what are we supposed to do? And he said, God invites you into this. You're invited to this. This is not something you can do on your own. It's an invitation by God. And so he says, if you believe this good news, then you come and you get in on this good offer that Jesus is giving us from God the Father. And so the first Christians did not see baptism as an addition to their faith. They saw it as an act 
of their faith. And so in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added. It's interesting because it says those who accepted. So there were people there who didn't accept the message. There were people there who did not want to do, who did not want to commit to Jesus. Sometimes we read over that. And so we see this pattern throughout Acts of people responding and being baptized. In chapter 8, when Philip goes into Samaria and he preaches this good news in Acts 8, chapter 12, we read that when they believed Philip, as he was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they began to be baptized, both men and women. And so later in the same chapter, as Philip is led by the Spirit out into, to, to meet this, this man on the road, this eunuch from Ethiopia... This man is reading in the chariot, right? Reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And so Philip gets up in the chariot and they they read the Scripture together. And they talk about what? Jesus. They talk about Jesus and what happens. In chapter 8 and verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there is water. What is to stop me from being baptized? So we've got to look back to Acts chapter 2. Where did this come from? If we just pull this out of the Bible, Acts chapter 8, 36, we would say, well, that's weird that he sees water and is like, what's going to keep me from being baptized? Well, the reason he even thought that is because at some point, Philip must have told him about Acts chapter 2. And when he realized, as those Jews that day, that he was responsible, as we all are, for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ... But yet God has given us this invitation to be cleansed, washed of those sins. His question was the same as theirs. What am I supposed to do? Here's water. What do I do now? What's keeping me from being baptized? And so the question of the first hearers of the Gospel was never do I have to get baptized. The question was always why can't I be baptized now? Why not now? And so in Acts 9, we saw Saul on the way to Damascus. And he was going there to capture and to kill, probably kill Christians. And Jesus intercepts him. And Saul goes blind, right? And so Saul fasts for three days. And Ananias is sent by the Spirit. And Ananias lays hands on Saul. And the blindness goes away. And immediately, Saul does what? He goes to be baptized. And so then he comes back. And he gets something to eat. He had not eaten for three days. I can't go three hours without looking for a crumb. But yet, what was Saul's first thought? Hey Saul, you want some lunch now? No, I want to get baptized. Then we'll come back and eat some lunch. And so in chapter 16, you've got a jailer in Philippi who is stunned when after God sends this earthquake opens the gates of the prison, the prisoners are still there. Paul and Silas did not leave. And so they don't make a run for it. They preached the good news of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 16 and verse 33, at that hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. The jailer took Paul and Silas, washed their wounds. Then the jailer and all his family were baptized. When? Right away. And over and over again, this pattern of when people hear this good news and when they accept this good news, they want to know, how quick can I be baptized? And so they were passionate about baptism. And maybe not as passionate as this guy. (laughs) 
This is a WWE service, I guess. But somewhere in the middle, we ought to be excited about baptism. We should be excited about it. And so he gave orders to have them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay for several days. So you remember here, Peter was preaching to Cornelius. He says, I now realize that God does not show favorites. The Spirit confirmed this by falling on the Gentiles, right? And so I have never heard anyone ordered to be baptized. But I have strongly urged people to be baptized. And I'll do that again this morning. Because every week I get the greatest opportunity to invite people to accept this good news. And you know what? Every week you have the same opportunities. Maybe not the same location. But it will not be good news if you think your past is a barrier to your future. Because here's the deal. The invitation of Jesus cannot be limited by your past sins. Because I'm not good enough, right? You're right. (laughs) You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to stand before God and present my goodness. I'm not going to do that. There's no way. Are you kidding me? But Jesus offers this invitation because there's no way that we could ever be good enough without Him. And so I am united with Christ and His goodness covers me. And so I'm going to stand before God and present His Son who has covered me. And I can do that with confidence. I can do that in faith. And I can do that with anticipation and excitement. And no matter who you are or what you have done, this invitation is for you too. So I wonder, show of hands, has anybody in this room ever murdered or arrested Christians? A wise man told me one time, never ask a question you're not ready for the answer for. So I think I'm ready for this one. Raise your hand if you have ever arrested or murdered Christians. And so we, we, we think about that. And we go, well, no, we didn't. Well, Saul did. Saul did. Saul did. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, he, he talks about this. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. And we could look at him and say, well, you're probably right. But we shouldn't. We shouldn't look at him and say, you probably are the worst. Because how am I any better? I am the worst of them. But here is why I was treated with mercy, he says. So that in me, as the worst, Christ Jesus could demonstrate his utmost patience as an example for those who are going to believe in Him for eternal life. And so this Gospel is not good advice. I'm not up here just trying to get us all to to tweak our lives. This Gospel is good news. This is God's good news that He had prepared and planned for since before the foundations of the world. And it's amazing that we're a part of it right now. So what's so good about it? I mean, I could say that all day long. So what's so good about it? Well, Jesus did not come to clean up good people. He didn't come to to, to clean up people who were spot shiny. He didn't do that. He came to raise up dead people. And so we were all dead in our sins. And baptism is this plunge into this wonderful wonders of the grace of God. 
in the mercy of God, the magnificence of the gospel. And it's trusting that what Jesus did can forgive everything that we have ever done. And so Peter makes this case referring to how the ark saved Noah and his family during the flood. Remember this. And so the watery grave all around them, but yet they are kept safe, entombed in this ark. And Jesus is our ark. Jesus is God's eternal ark. And so in God's mind, He determined that His Son is our ark in this destructive flood of Satan's world. And so when we are entombed with Christ, we are kept safe from that destruction. And so Peter would say regarding these two, and, and again in 1 Peter 3.21, and this prefigured, this ark prefigured baptism, which now saves you. Not the washing off of physical dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the reach of the blood of Jesus can erase anything. And it can include anyone. And so this invitation of Jesus is also not limited by my present status. So you've seen signs at a pool. You've been to a pool probably. uh, Signs that say, do not enter. Maybe it says, closed. And maybe it says, do not enter because it's a kiddie pool and you're too old to go into it. Or maybe it says, closed because they have a special class with just certain people and you're not a part of that class, so you're not allowed to go in there during this time. And so the pool of baptism never has a sign because everyone is always welcome. And the ripple effects of this good news were crossing all kinds of lines as they were baptizing women in a day that said women did not have the same privilege as men do. And they were baptizing people of different races in a day when you were taught to hate people of a different race, a different nationality. And they were baptizing people with jobs that used to be affiliated with evil, like tax collectors, Matthew, or like a soldier for the Roman army, Cornelius, or how about sorcerers? And so rich people, poor people, political people, all in the same water. And we take this for granted. We cannot fully grasp how radical this was. And so if you were Saul as a Jewish boy, you would have been taught a prayer of similar words and you would have prayed it your entire life. I thank Thee, O Lord God, Maker of heaven and earth, that I was not born a Gentile. I thank You that I was not born a slave and I thank You that I was not born a woman. And that would have been a Jewish young man's prayer as he gave thanks to God. Paul knew exactly what he was saying when he wrote in Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, the Gospel will not let me pray that prayer anymore that I'm used to praying. The Gospel has erased all the distinctions that we used to see between one another. And so the world uses labels to categorize people. It helps us so we can know where people are supposed to stay, where we're supposed to place them, and how we're supposed to respond and and treat them. We can't seem to educate ourselves past this. For hundreds of years, we can't legislate ourselves past this either. The only thing that will ever break down all the distinctions between people is the understanding 
that for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the only thing that is going to help us break down the distinctions and the barriers that we place between one another. And so baptism declares that the church does not look at people through the lens of a label. We look at people through the lens of the gospel. That's how we see people. And so through that lens, there are only two people. There are the people who are in Christ, and there are those still in their sins who need the gospel so that they can be in Christ too. And so the promise is for you and it's for your children and for all who are far off, for as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And so this invitation is also not limited by my future struggles. It's not limited by what I may go through and struggle with in the future. Because here's the deal. Baptism does not drown the devil. It doesn't. Satan is not drowned in the baptism pool. There's a false gospel out there these days. And been there for centuries probably, that if you just follow Jesus, all your problems will go away. If you just follow Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. But what did Jesus say? In John chapter 16 and verse 33, He told His disciples, in the world you will have trouble and suffering, but take courage because I have conquered the world. And so whenever someone in Jesus disagree with this thinking, this philosophy, I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm going to side with Him. He's the one I'm going to believe and follow. Baptism does not drown the devil. Because when you follow Jesus, you can still lose your job. And marriage is still hard. And you can still be afflicted with all kinds of physical diseases, emotional struggles. And Satan has his own invitation. He does. And he will be there in those moments to invite you to abandon the way of Jesus and the way of the cross and to go another way, promising you immediate gratification through a bed or through a bottle or through some new car, expense, something in life. But in the waters of baptism, I see the reflection of the story that I signed up for, that I committed to. And so I still stumble and I still sin. And Satan still accuses me and tries to beat me down. And when that happens, I remember the Gospel did not end in Acts 2.38. You realize that? The Gospel did not end in Acts chapter 2. In verse 38, John would go on later to write that if we will crawl, if we will limp, if we will drag ourselves back into the light, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us. And that phrasing there is continues to cleanse us from all sin because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when I think about my own mortality, which I seem to do more as life ventures later on, and so I remember that I have already died. The only death that ever matters. I've already died that because I am in Jesus. The second death cannot touch me. It cannot frighten me. It cannot destroy me. And when I get tired of the evil, and I get tired of it, when I get tired of the suffering, Not just my own, which to be honest with you has not been much, but I bear your burdens. Because we're supposed to do that, right? We bear one another's burdens. I get tired of your suffering. 
And when that happens, and I get tired of hypocrisy and tired of pain, I get tired of my own weak, failing, flawed flesh. Say that three times. When I, when I get tired of that, I see my story reflected in the waters of baptism. And one thing that's happened, when I was baptized, I was making a statement of the kind of future that I anticipate. See, when I give my life over to Jesus Christ, when I die to Christ and enter the waters of baptism, I'm making a statement of the future that I believe in. Because I didn't stay under that water. I was raised up from that water, just as God will raise me up one day for eternal life with Him. And Paul would say in Colossians 3 and verse 3, "For For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with Him. And so baptism is not church practice. Baptism is resurrection practice. And baptism reminds all of us how God has the last word and how evil has lost. Jesus has won and we are headed to a future that Satan cannot stop us from inheriting. And so I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus Christ will come again. So we all live by a narrative. You realize that? We all pick a story. We all kind of pick a, a, a worldview, a thinking, a philosophy, if you will, of how we live our life. What's yours? What's your narrative? What's your story? What are you living by? Because you've been, if you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, you've picked yours. You've picked it. The question is, are you living by it? Is that how you're living? In baptism, God invites us to never be the same again. And here's the irony. Satan understands this more than some of us do. You know that? He understands this more than some of us do. Which is why he whispers, did God really say you need to do that? Did He? Yes, He did. Yeah, but did He really mean it? Is that what He meant? See, the power of darkness understands that union with Christ limits what the power of darkness can do to a person. And every time someone is plunged beneath the waters of baptism, the power of darkness feels those ripple effects like a tsunami wave across the landscape. And so it alters everything, which is why no one in the New Testament ever says, do I need to get baptized? But they always seem to say, what is keeping me from being baptized now? And they're like this young man I want you to watch in this clip. And so Jordan... Upon the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When Paul was on trial, he told a Roman official about his story. And he told him when Ananias came to me, he said, And now what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on His name. And so the question this morning, it's really simple. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're afraid if you're baptized, it may seem like that you're rejecting what your parents or what your family had taught you a certain way about Jesus. Maybe you're afraid of that. If they taught you about Jesus at all, You're not rejecting them. You're affirming them. They wanted you to follow Jesus. And now, as an adult, it's time for you to make that conscious decision and personally choose the way of Jesus. 
Because you're actually honoring what your parents wanted. Maybe you're waiting because you're afraid of water. Maybe. There's a lady in Jamaica that I spoke to on a mission trip who I don't know, she may still be waiting. Because the only thing keeping her from being baptized, at least as she communicated to me, was her fear of water. No matter how much we tried to convince her and talk to her. If you will decide to follow Jesus, there are going to be times in your life when because of that decision, life is going to be scary and life's going to be uncertain. But here's the deal. Jesus will always provide you with the courage and the strength to meet everything that comes your way. If it's something He's asked you to do, He will do it. And you can take a step of faith and the courage will show up. And maybe you're waiting because you think you don't know enough. I don't know enough about Jesus. Most of what is written about baptism in the Bible, you read, get this? Most of what is written about baptism in the, in the Bible is written to people who are baptized. You know that? You know that? You'll spend the rest of your life learning what it means to be united with Christ. Raise your hand if you've been baptized in Christ more than 30 years. I have. Have you been baptized more than 30 years? Now, raise your hand if you know everything you need to know about what it means to be baptized in Christ. No. We don't. We're continually learning and growing deeper in this relationship and in our faith. And I'm still learning. But here is what I know. If you know you are a sinner and you know you need a Savior, then you know enough to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you weren't planning on being baptized today. No one in the Bible was planning on it when they got up that morning that they were going to be baptized when they did. Not on the day of Pentecost. They weren't planning on that. The eunuch wasn't planning on it. Certainly not Paul. (laughs) Paul was certainly not planning on it when he got up that morning. Nor the jailer. But they didn't wait. They didn't wait. They didn't prevent them. The Bible never says Jesus is so important that you should make a decision about Him tomorrow. Maybe you weren't planning. But we were. Because the water is ready. And we have clothes that you can put on. We even have towels. We have a hair dryer that will help you when you're over with. Here's the thing. When I said I do to Tressa, I wasn't promising that I was going to be perfect. Good thing, right? (laughs) I wasn't promising I was going to be perfect when I committed my life to her or promised I was never going to make a mistake as her husband. But when I put that ring on, I was promising that as long as you live, I am dedicated to you. I will be faithful to you. And that's what you do when you are baptized. You're not promising that you're going to be perfect. You're not promising that you're never going to stumble. You're promising, Jesus, I am committed to You and I will be loyal. And God is inviting you to join Him in the story that is truly the never-ending story. It's an eternal story. And you can ride the ripples of that decision into eternity with Jesus Christ as your Lord. So do you believe this story? Do you believe the story of Jesus? Do you believe that God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that no one will enter the kingdom of heaven except through Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Because if you do, here is water. What is keeping you from being baptized? And I believe the answer, the only true answer is, it's you. You are the only thing 
keeping you from being baptized. So this morning, if you are not a child of God, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you're here this morning for a reason. You're here because in some degree you believe that that God has something to say and Jesus Christ is someone you ought to listen to. And I hope this morning you have heard why. Because God is the Creator of the world, the Creator of the universe. He's the one in which all of our existence is seated in His hands. And His Son, Jesus Christ, is His choice, His chosen vessel through which we all may spend eternity with God. And we're able to do that by confessing Him as Lord, by being baptized into the water where we're washed away, not the physical washing away of dirt, but the pledging of a good conscience to God as He recognizes that as washing away our sins. And He accepts that through the sacrifice of His Son Jesus who died on the cross for us. If you believe and recognize that, what's keeping you from being baptized this morning? And perhaps at one time you remembered while you were baptized. But in over time, maybe you've forgotten. Maybe it's gotten cloudy. Satan will do that. He'll cloud our thoughts. He'll cloud our understanding. And God calls you today to recognize that. To repent of whatever sin is standing between you and that right relationship with God. Confess that. Repent of it. Ask His forgiveness. And He, the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from our sins. And as we assemble here this morning, we want to celebrate with you in your decision to be baptized or we want to pray with you in your need for restoration. If we can help you in any way as we stand and sing this good song, will you come?